Hello, welcome to Leaving in Color, a podcast about uncovering your radiant self after losing your faith. I am your host, Christina Elmer. I'm so delighted you found us. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. I am excited, as always. For those of you that follow me or Leaving in Color on the socials, I introduced a new series that we're starting called Coloring Outside the Lines, where my guests and I discuss everything from books, beliefs, tenets, and practices that fall within or about high demand belief systems. So I'm excited to introduce today's guest, my friend, the High Priestess of Brooklyn, Capricorn Rising Inc., just a brilliant, kind human, Alex Kaola. I also call her the resident Real Housewives expert, and I have her on today to discuss the book by the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City castmate, the lovely Heather Gay. Enjoy. Hi, and welcome to Leaving in Color. This is our first episode of Coloring Outside the Lines, and I am super excited to introduce my guest today. Her name is Alex Kayola. She is a phenomenal human being. I consider her a mentor, a friend, someone that I consult with on the regular about all things astrology and tarot. Alex has recently rebranded. When I met Alex, she was a tarot astrologer and you are now rebranded as an intuitive business and executive coach. Is that right? Yes. So it's funny. Did I get that correct? (laughs) You totally did. And it's, I think it's funny because I rebranded back to more of like my original thing, my roots, because I was in recruitment and talent acquisition for like 10 years before I started my own business. So it's just more like the rebrand is like a coming back to self in a way. I love it. (laughs) It felt very fluid when you said, oh, I'm rebranding. And then it was like, oh yeah, this is what she's done before. And thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. (laughs) I also consider Alex a little bit of like a real housewives expert. And so that's why I had (laughs) her on today. If you follow her on any of her social media on TikTok, Instagram, she's, she loves the real housewives. And so we are going to discuss the book Bad Mormon by Heather Gay and probably a little bit of like real housewives of Salt Lake City, because obviously she's, she's a cast member on the show, but yeah, I consider Alex a resident housewives expert. So I'm glad that she's here today (laughs) to discuss this this book with me. Alex is also Gemini, Gemini son like me. So I'm excited about this conversation. It's going to be spicy. Spicy. (laughs) So I have a Scorpio moon and so does Heather Gay, actually. So yes, I was going to ask you about any sort of astrology. You know what? Let me pull up my friend, Alyssa. So my friend, Alyssa, who has this account stars X Alyssa is like the go-to for all things astrology and housewives. Oh, I didn't know about this. She's fantastic. Uh, She posts the star signs, sun signs, all the signs actually that she can find 
for every cast. And I actually really rely on her. Um, She does tireless research. A lot of these housewives do not have their birth – their birth info isn't right online. So she has to like look for them and get them like all situated every single time. Um, she gets like new information and she updates them. So I'm literally just finding her post about Salt Lake City to make okay. sure that I get Heather's placements correct. So she's a Cancer Sun, Scorpio Moon, like I said, and a Sagittarius rising. So okay. what does that mean? Yes. What does that mean? <laughs> that means that <laughs> she – okay. So Heather Gay, I feel like, leads with a lot of the Cancerian characteristics, which are yeah. maternal, you know, yes. she's very proud of being a mom. I feel like she talks about that throughout the book, but yet she also, that Scorpio moon is like a fierce protector, you know, someone who I have a Scorpio moon as well. We can be secretive sometimes, like compartmentalize mm. two different worlds, you know, which she talks about a lot in the book, you know, the Mormon yeah. side of her and the, you know, secular part of her and like how to reconcile that. Um, yeah, totally. And Sagittarius rising is very much like a teacher archetype, someone who loves to, you know, travel and gain a lot of knowledge about a lot of different things, you know, culturally very adept. And I feel like she's got like a wealth of knowledge in pop culture and, you know, oh yeah, she, and it's, it's a cool placement. Like she has kind of a factor about her that just, Shows that she's up on things and she can kind of um, – Sagittarius is the opposite of Gemini, right? So it's like we can kind of talk to anyone and enjoy like conversations and things like that, connecting dots. Yeah. That's just like a snippet of her chart, obviously, if we we're going to go like super in-depth, we would – we No, but that was could. super helpful. As you've been talking about, I'm thinking about, you know, watching this this most recent season, season four. I really enjoyed when she went over to Angie – Angie's house for the Greek Easter Mm -hmm. and how she was just very respectful. Like she had done her research a a little bit about the Greek Orthodox Easter and how it was different from Mormon Easter or Christian, you know, Christian Easter. And I just, I really appreciated about that about her. And I guess Sagittarius placement makes so much sense. It does. She's definitely respectful. And I even think it's funny that the book is called Bad Mormon, but I feel like she's pretty respectful of the church the whole time. Yeah, exactly. She was very, very extremely respectful. And I guess, yeah, let's just jump into it. So what was something that you you loved about the book in particular? I loved all of it. First of all, best writing out of any housewife book I think we'll ever get. Oh, really? I've not read any other ones. Me neither, but but I don't think. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so I should I should I should say most of them are ghost written. Yes. So I shouldn't say that necessarily. I shouldn't say that because ghost writers can be extremely, you know, great writers. But I think a housewife writing her own, I'm sure right. she had help in some regard, but she wrote the book herself. Like she gets the author credit and I thought from that yeah. standpoint it was really well written and she thought about themes and you know, wove them throughout. Yeah. So I just think from a writing perspective, she did a really good job. Her delivery on audiobook was phenomenal because she read oh, it. Awesome. Yeah. I love when they read the book. <laughs> Me too. And so I loved that. I 
think that what stood out the most to me was how housewives like brought everything together for her Mm -hmm. and how she said, you know, I spent so much time, you know, trying to be perfect and I'm paraphrasing her quote, but the producers and the housewives franchise wanted me because of my flaws, because of my failures. And I felt like they required nothing of me. And in so doing, I got the most out of it. I think she said like they required nothing and everything from me at the same time Mm -hmm. because I could just show up and be myself like what better job is there? And I just thought, wow, that was a really cool way to sort of put that job into perspective given Mm -hmm. her circumstances. And I I just found that to be really empowering for her. I felt like I was already rooting for her, but just given all of the backstory of what she had been through, I felt like, wow, she really has come a very long way and has made it to some regard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm glad that you pointed that out. I actually, I, I read this before Christmas break, and so I don't remember. I've tabbed my book. I have, I'm old-fashioned. Alex, Alex and I talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but Alex listened to the audio version. I have the hard old lady version, like, book, because I need to touch it and tab it and write in it. But yeah, what a beautiful way for her to be able to heal those parts of herself, like leaving Mormonism and having to be perfect or feeling like you have to be perfect all the time and just being seen for who she is absolutely must have been the most therapeutic thing for her. I can imagine being on reality TV is probably very chaotic and not the best space to heal in coming out of Mormonism and then, okay, here I'm on the big stage. and But the producer is just saying, yeah, okay, we want you as you are. That is wonderful. So if we want to kind of compare Salt Lake City Housewives to like other franchises, I've only watched like a season of New Jersey, maybe a couple seasons of New York. Mm-hmm. What other ones are there? I've never really watched Anna, Atlanta. I know the castmates and I kind of follow their stories yeah. on like celebrity gossip sites, but, and I never watched Potomac, but how, how is the cast compared to like other Real Housewives franchises? I spent a lot of time thinking about this. So I'm really glad you asked Perfect. me that. I love it. <laughs> you also forgot Beverly Hills. Oh, which yeah. Yes, Beverly okay. Hills and Orange County. So I have watched those, yeah. some, some yeah. seasons of those. Yes, thank you. So I think it went Orange County, then New York, then Beverly Hills, uh-huh. and on and on the franchises went. Um, Atlanta was early on too. I think Salt Lake City, to me, I I thought it was interesting, too, in the book. They kind of talk about how it wasn't originally meant to be a housewife show or they weren't, Mm -hmm. like, sure it was going to be a housewife show and then they made it into a housewife show, which I think meant that everybody was happy about that, it seems like, on the cast Mm -hmm. um, because of what that meant at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, I think in 2020 they premiered. I think that Salt Lake City compares in that – there's history with all of the with a lot of the friendships. Right. There's also the sense that there's the Mormon church. Mm-hmm. There's Mary uh, Cosby has a Pentecostal, <laughs> she leads a yes. Pentecostal community. Yeah. 
And she has a very interesting backstory. Yes. And there is just so much going on, like dynamic Mm -hmm. wise. You know, Whitney is also recently left the church. That's Heather's like distant cousin because she had an affair with her now husband. She runs a business. It's also a very entrepreneurial cast. Like every single one of them like runs a business besides Mary, which I guess you could say that her church is a business too. It's a nonprofit. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Technically. Um, (laughs) The Mormon church is also a business too, just by the Uh way. Yeah. Billions and billions of dollars. Billions of dollars. Yeah. I think that was the original angle of the show. So they like compiled all these entrepreneurial women. And I think for me as an entrepreneur too, you could probably relate to this as well. That's really inspirational and aspirational Mm -hmm. in many ways. Like they all have like their thing and they're centering a lot of their life around their family and making the business and their family and all of those things that they're juggling work, which I think is cool to watch. But the history and the level of, you know, religious – affiliation and and like mm-hmm. how the city runs. I, I think it's just all really interesting. It's super foreign to me personally. So I love learning about just different cultures and just like how everything works together and wait, like Lisa's owns a, a tequila company, but she's a very devout Mormon. Like how does that work? Like all of mm-hmm. these different layers to it. I think it's super interesting and they're funny. Like they're really, yeah. really funny and entertaining to watch and yeah. not every – I, I don't laugh at every cast. Like there's a few that are really funny. Atlanta, Potomac are two of them and Salt okay. Lake City. Like New York is is funny too because it just depends yeah. on who's on it at the moment. But um, I'm, I'm laughing, I'm entertained, and I'm also just like enthralled with their lives. Yeah. Yeah. It might be my favorite franchise. Oh. Besides New York. Yeah. I mean, I, I love New York. I was going to say you're through and through New York, but – yeah. Yeah, I actually heard a rumor. Well, I heard this on another podcast that I listened to that the same people that produce New York produce Salt Lake City. I could be wrong. I don't, that hasn't been vetted, but I mean, yeah, I could see that. I could see uh, that. Oh, yeah, we forgot Miami. Miami's another. Oh, did Miami's great Miami? too. No, no, okay. no. And Miami's, well, they did for a while and now Miami's back and it's very, it's very good okay. too. I can't believe I forgot Miami. There's Love just too Miami. many and sometimes it's hard to keep, totally. keep track of all the, the Bravo shows. Something I, that you pointed out about that they're all entrepreneurs, which coming out of Mormonism myself, it's a very, not that intro, being an entrepreneur is solely Mormon, you know, but we're we're taught from a very young age, especially those that have been in the church for a very, very, very long time where the ancestors go back to like the founding of the religion have always been very work and business minded and individuals, people that just, you know, really, really work hard for what they have and take pride in things. And so I think that it's beautiful that they're highlighting these women that are, you know, Mm -hmm. first of all, who doesn't want to support a business owned by a strong woman? I think that's incredible. But yeah, it just kind of, I think it highlights a lot of their Mormon ties. That's another part in the book too, where Heather talks about her entrepreneurial nature from a very young mm-hmm. age. And I loved learning about that too about her. And I, I didn't realize that that was a Mormon um, characteristic or something that's like yeah in the culture, which is that – so that makes sense. And that's – I mean, that's a cool aspect of it, I think, yeah. personally. Just <laughs> being really, you know, 
good with your money and like, you know, just working hard for things that you have and taking pride in it is definitely something that a lot of people in the church kind of live by. But what was interesting is if we want to go and talk about <laughs> Lisa Barlow, it's interesting because most Mormons, and I wonder if it's, first of all, the culture, Mormon culture is so different in Utah than anywhere else in the world or country. Like, cause there are pockets of Mormons everywhere. Like pretty much every right. state in the United States has a Mormon congregation. But for whatever reason, Utah, Idaho, even Arizona, those members of the church are very specific. How so? Like they're they're a little bit culturally different. It's funny because <laughs> Mormonism, there's lots of like interesting beliefs, but there's also things that I grew up thinking were beliefs, but it's actually cultural things like, for example, caffeine. Hmm. So one of the tenets of Mormonism is something called the word of wisdom. And it's essentially a health code. So it just breaks down things that are healthy to eat and things that are not. So coffee, tea, alcohol are two big, big no-nos. Hmm. But they, they specify it as hot drinks. So you can drink herbal tea. Hot mm. cocoa is fine, and that's a hot drink. But, you know, coffee and tea in particular and alcohol are a big no. But it's interesting because <laughs> caffeine is found in coffee. And growing up, like... We we're always told, oh, don't drink Coca-Cola because it's it's caffeinated, right? Mm -hmm. But it doesn't say exactly in the word of wisdom, oh, caffeine is against the word of wisdom. It's coffee and tea. But people then changed it to believe, oh, well, then Coca-Cola is bad because it has caffeine in it. Mm. And when I went to Brigham Young University in the early 90s or the late 90s, goodness, I'm not that old. In the late 90s, early 2000s, it was funny because on campus, all the caffeinated drinks so like coke diet coke even mountain dew were caffeine free oh yeah which is weird because it doesn't say anything in the word of wisdom about caffeine so it's like hmm. why can't we have something that isn't necessarily terrible for us i mean soda isn't the best but you know it's doesn't specify in there but yet we're told not to drink it and you're kind of controlling us in this way that we can't have caffeinated soda on campus. So I had a roommate who, when we were living in the dorms, she would sneak off, first of all, to church. We had church every Sunday and we were required to go because wherever we lived, we were separated into um, small congregations based upon where we lived on the dorms. And even off campus, you're just separated into small congregations for Sunday services. And my friend who, I adore her, she's she was somewhat of a rebel. She would go shopping on Sunday. She would play hooky from church and she would go grocery shopping, which shopping on Sunday is like a big no-no in Mormonism. You're supposed to just go to church, spend time with your family. You're not supposed to spend any money on Sunday. And so she would go grocery shopping on Sunday and come back with a huge like 24 pack of Mountain Dew, which caffeine on campus mm. was a big shocker. Like, oh, here comes Nikki walking in with a big thing of Mountain Dew on Sunday. But she did it for show. She's like, I don't care. And she would just walk back into the dorm <laughs> carrying her case of Mountain Dew. But coming full circle, Lisa Barlow now owning a tequila company. And what's interesting is that her husband, she she mentions it this season on the show when her son is getting ready to serve a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that she wasn't able to go into the temple to be there while he goes and makes these special promises or covenants with God in 
their temple, but her husband could go. So I'm curious. I wish I could ask somebody this question. Like, how how is that allowed? Mm. Like, how can you own a business selling alcohol when the church is definitely against the consuming of alcohol? I don't know if they right. necessarily are against the selling of it, but they limit drinks in Utah. You can't have more than two alcoholic drinks on a table at a time when you go out to eat in Utah. But it's just, it's interesting that John Barlow has a temple recommend to go into the temple and he owns a tequila company, but we couldn't have caffeinated soda at Brigham Young University in the late 90s. They've since then allowed caffeinated soda on campus. And I remember when it happened, it was a huge deal and everyone was posting about it on social media. But wow, that's kind of interesting and weird to think about. It is weird to think about. And I don't know anything about anything in regards to the Mormonism of it all. But I'm also thinking about filming. So there's got to be such interesting stipulations for Salt Lake City in particular because the two drinks on the table thing, I'm Mm -hmm. thinking about a lot of times when they're out to eat, it is two of them. Mm -hmm. They're not out to eat like in a big group dinner or if they do a big group dinner, it's private. And Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that has something to do with it, number one. You know, that might make – that makes sense. I never thought about it uh, because I didn't know that was a rule. And secondly, Lisa's the only one I guess is still in the Mormon church, right? And she's on the show. I don't know what their opinion on that would be. Yeah. Um, or if they have a say, but I would assume that maybe like because she's on the show, she can't go into the temple either. Like maybe it has less maybe. to do with Vita and more to do with the show. Yeah. Possibly. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'm kind of curious about that. I mean, obviously, like I want to be respectful of, you know, whatever is going on with that. Like it's when I was active in the Mormon church, I especially towards the end. And I kind of came into my own understanding of a lot of the beliefs and practices within Mormonism. I, I came to understand that it's very personal, like the relationship that you have with God and the promises that you make to him are very personal. They shouldn't include your husband, which within Mormonism, it's a patriarchal religion. And there's a lot of like consulting with men and reporting to men But yeah, I came to believe that it's very personal and I didn't want to be judged because someone else told me that I couldn't do something or, you know, if I felt something differently, I really wanted to believe that that was true. And I hope I'm going to assume that Lisa Barlow is in that same situation, that it's very personal for her. She doesn't talk a lot about it, right? She doesn't talk a lot about going to church. I think she was just recently started going back again shortly before Jack decided her oldest decided to go on a mission. But I, I think sometimes I forget for me coming out of Mormonism and I see how damaging it's been to so many people that it is, it's a personal choice. Right. And I, I need to be respectful of, of that. And I, I can imagine trying to navigate having a kid who's wanting to serve a mission actually side note I think he ended up not going I think we find that out at the reunion yeah I um, didn't watch the most recent one but I haven't I either like, I feel like you're right but yeah having a husband who's still 
in the church, but he seems like he's supportive of her, her decisions. And I think that that's not something that I've seen very often within Mormonism. So kudos to her. I feel like she just really does her own thing completely. And I think that's cool. It seems like Heather, to me, felt like more of a rule follower and that Mm -hmm. she was really respectful of everything and took it very sacred from an early age and then felt that she eventually had to leave because she wanted to like live a very different life. Mm -hmm. Like she couldn't have both and she really tried and couldn't do it. And I think it's interesting to see, and she probably feels some type of way. And I feel like she said this about, about Lisa just kind of doing whatever she wants with Mormonism. Yeah. And yes, it's personal, but I feel like the Mormon church has very strict guidelines from what it seems Mm -hmm. like on what is and isn't couth and like what kind of makes you a good or bad Mormon. And I think, you know, it's clear which one, the route that Heather chose. Yeah. But um, that's why that cast dynamic I think is so interesting is because there's people who are like not involved in it at all, Mm -hmm. people who were involved very heavily and are no longer. And, you know, that was a big part of their story. And then, you know, somebody who's in the church still who kind of, is a little loosey-goosey with the rules. Yeah. I guess it, you know, that works for her and I'm glad that it that it's there to, to support her. Yeah. So anything else from the book? I'm trying to, when I was reading the book, I have different tabs on mine. Things are like, oh my gosh, I, you know, this is typical Mormonism. And then there were things that I also tabbed that felt very similar to my own experience in Mormonism. I actually um, read a review today because I was like, oh, I wonder if there's anyone out there that's done a book club. But um, someone who's also an ex-Mormon said that they found her description of the Mormon temple ceremony pretty bland. But again, like going back to the the thing that you said originally, that she was very respectful of Mormonism. Like she, you know, exactly what you said with the title being interesting because she's not a bad Mormon. I don't I don't see her as a bad Mormon. She's not out there trying to put an expose out about the church and how it's ruined her life. She's very, very respectful. And I that's somewhat contrary to a lot of people's experiences. A lot of people that are post-Mormon or ex-Mormon, they come from a very, just a very painful space. Mm-hmm. And obviously it's, you know, each person's experience is different, but I I don't think Heather Gay is someone who wants to have that negative energy out there. She wants to really just put the best out there. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Right. I have a question because I feel yeah. like the end got kind of rushed and it didn't really go into wh- her leaving the church. Yeah. It just kind of went into like her becoming a housewife, Uh a real housewife. Is it that you have to leave the church if you get a divorce? You don't have to, but she, you know, she is engaging in what the church considers bad behavior, right? She's drinking alcohol. She's having what they would consider extramarital relationships. I don't recall if she's mentioned getting her temple ceiling canceled. 
So the way it works in Mormonism, you go into the big buildings. They have one right in New York City, <laughs> somewhere up uptown okay. um, in New York City. Um, but that's where a lot of Mormon ceremonies take place, predominantly marriages. And when one leaves the Mormon church, as far as I know, if you haven't had your records moved, which I don't think she's had her records removed, as far as I know, I know that Whitney did this last season, but I don't think Heather has. So I think that her temple ceiling is still intact, even though her legal marriage to her husband is like she's officially divorced by the eyes of the law. But according to the Mormon church, she may not necessarily be divorced in their eyes. Like her celestial marriage may not be canceled, mm. if that makes sense. It's interesting that you asked this because I'm actually kind of looking at this a little bit. It's kind of been popping up on my radar with a bunch of ex-Mormon women on this Facebook group that I'm a part of with women that are leaving the Mormon church, removing their names. It's a process. You have to get a whole thing notarized just like Whitney did. I was really happy to see that, that they showed like the process that it's not just like a simple thing. And it mm. kind of then shows that the Mormon church is a business. Like who has to get a notarized document to leave a religion right. that makes right. zero sense. So a bunch of these women on this ex-Mormon Facebook group are saying, you know, I've left the Mormon church. I've officially removed my name through the process of sending a letter to the church or whatever, but their temple marriages or their celestial marriages are still intact in the eyes of the church. And we were all confused because I also assumed the same thing, that if your name is removed from the records of the church, like there's not any existence of you left in the Mormon church. Like you're just, it's like you were never there. Yeah. But from what I've heard from these groups is that that's not the case, that they still count these marriages as legal in the eyes of God. Hmm. It was a little bit confusing. Like, oh, I thought that because, you know, my name was removed from the records of the church that therefore any ceremonies or promises or things that we do, that it would automatically be canceled as well. But that's not the case. So, yeah, I'm curious as hmm. to if... She's going to go through that. But also, she doesn't really talk a lot about her kids still being in. She's mentioned that her oldest, Ashley, who's away at college, is obviously not in the church anymore. Well, I'm assuming from what I've just seen on the show. But mm -hmm. she hasn't mentioned anything about her younger two. So maybe her younger two are still active. Because I think this season she did talk about, remember, she went skiing with her girls that one day and they were talking about some of the bullying that had been happening with the girls at school. Yeah. And so I wonder, you know, because there is a stigma if a parent leaves the church and there's another parent that's still active or the kids still may be active and they have to be around other Mormon kids. I can't imagine doing that in Utah and then having your mom be on this huge public, you mm -hmm. know, forum of TV. Yeah. So I don't know if her kids are still in or if that's why she hasn't left the church because her kids are still in, you know? Right. It's confusing. I feel like the end of the book was like a little bit rushed. I feel like mm -hmm. I didn't fully understand the whole of the story. And I think she's she's clear and pretty thoughtful about everything that she's telling. And so mm -hmm. it must have been a clearly well thought out 
not, you know, omission if if yeah. she didn't really go into it in the book and that makes sense to me. It's just interesting how religions take something that is undocumentable marriages in the eyes of God. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. I guess I can think about it as like the Akashic Records, right? Which is like yeah. the way that we go into um, past lives and sort of the soul history of every living, breathing entity or even building or, you know, land in, in the, I guess on earth, really, because that's the only thing that we're kind of <laughs> seeking out answers yeah. to. So I, I guess in that sense, like, I can see why you would stake a claim to a relationship being a record in the eyes mm-hmm. of God or the universe, because I guess I'm disproving what I was about to say, because um, there are soul records that are called, yeah. you know, I just call them a different thing or kind of, you know, we we kind of recognize them to be a different thing in spirituality as the Akashic records. But yeah, I guess there there wouldn't be a way to like strike that from the record from the Akasha because that's not possible. So in in the other instance of that, I think it it's kind of beautiful to say like this cannot be erased. Like you did come together in union, in holy marriage, in no matter what religion it is. And we cannot pretend like it never happened. Like yeah. there was, you know, the souls came together and created a family, you know, potentially children. And it, it would be almost like uh, sanctimonious to to say that it didn't happen. Yeah. No, that's a beautiful perspective. Thank you. I wonder if I were to bring that up in ex-Mormon <laughs> circles, they'd probably be like, that's a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> You know, because a lot of these women are coming from an angry space of like, this has been damaging, you know. But, you know, for me, I feel like if you're looking at it from a healed perspective, which I know that I am, I can definitely see that as, yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. But then if we twist it and look how the Mormon church operates, that's not how they're viewing. But I, yeah, I can tell you, I can see that viewpoint of it. I think that's the interesting thing about being a third party observer of any highly, you know, organized and thoughtful religion or culture of any capacity is like simply asking a question can be very triggering to the people who have the lived experience. And I think, you know, I hope that as a society, we start to soften the edges on that a little bit Mm -hmm. because I think people are really afraid to like ask questions and get more knowledge on things because people are scared to offend people, you know, yeah. plain and simple. And I, I could see that like going into a, a setting like that and just saying, what if we looked at it like this, you know, getting like your head ripped off. I appreciate that you've created a safe space for me to ask you questions about Mormonism. Yeah, thank you. Because, Absolutely. yeah, I think it can be really intimidating to get to know something if you don't know where the, the landmines are in regards right. to the questions, you know. Yeah. No, ask away. That's partially <laughs> why I started this podcast was just to have a safe space to be able to ask questions and share stories. And there's quite a few podcasts out there that really focus on the damaging effects of Mormonism 
And I, well, I don't want that to be the focus. And I come from a, an angry space of like, this is how I was hurt. And I, I understand that that, that definitely happens. Like it, that may not be my exact experience, but I, I know that so much more can come from healing than coming from the the space of like hurt and fear and negativity. Cause that's, you know, I lived my whole life in fear. A lot of people in Mormonism live their whole life in fear. And so being able to just come out and have a safe space is and a positive yeah. space. It's like, you know, we can have conversations and there's not, you know, animosity or judgment on anyone's part. They're just like, yeah, this is just a, a discussion. It's, you know, someone's coming from a place of curiosity, not from a place to like judge or or accuse. Right. So and so living in fear. You mean that just in that the church or culture that is stemming from the church imparts a lot of rules and sort of a, a moral code to live by, and so you're living in fear that you aren't living perfectly in the eyes of God? Yeah. Yeah. Living, not living perfectly in the eyes of God. And there's the Mormon belief that when we die, we that's the the main reason for having the temples and performing the different ceremonies that they do in them is to allow people to have a next life, but living in with God. So, you know, versus the belief of like our soul moves on to something else. It's like staying in heaven. And then the belief that, you know, when you are, it's called a ceiling, when you're sealed to your spouse, that you're going to be with this person in the eternities and maybe one day create worlds of your own, mm. just like, you know, Heavenly Father did and, you know, sent his son. I don't know how the whole thing works, but that's just a general belief that, you know, we'll go on to create our own, our own worlds. And so there's a lot of fear placed in this life to be perfect, to get married in the temple, to have a family, to do things perfectly. Because if you don't, then you're not going to be able to live with your family in the next life. You won't see them again. If you, you know, commit an atrocious sin of having sex or, you know, even viewing erotic material or just a whole gamut, drinking alcohol or at one point, I think suicide was considered pretty taboo within the Mormon religion. Um, that if you commit any egregious sin, even the smallest one, because they, they say that just starting small with the smallest sin can then become something much bigger and can ruin your life. And so there's just a lot of fear mm. placed upon people that if you're not absolutely perfect and yeah, you can repent, you can go talk to your parochial leader and, you know, confess your sins. But there's just that underlying fear of like, if you're not good enough, you're not going to be able to attain the highest kingdom and be able to live with your family and your attorneys. You're going to be living in this lower kingdom and having to like, essentially just not see your family ever again, which is devastating. Yeah. You yeah. know, if you think about like an eight-year-old kid in Mormonism, eight years old is the age that you get baptized. I think, did Heather talk about that in her book about being baptized? She did it with, I think... Ashley. Oh, yes. Ashley's baptism. And just reading that, I was like, there's such pomp and circumstance around that. And it, if you think about it, it's a huge deal to accept 
these beliefs at eight years old. Like my youngest got baptized in the Mormon church about two years ago. And I remember going through that process being an ex-Mormon and supporting my my baby who's still in because their dad is still an active member of the church and just trying to have conversations with him to help him understand because there's not a lot of teaching that goes into it to say, you know, this is you get to choose ultimately, but at the same time, there's like the undertone of like, well, if you don't get baptized, you're going to feel left out or it shows that you don't love God or you don't want to make these promises. And it's like, but an eight-year-old is barely, you know, been reading for a couple of years. They barely understand the things that they're learning. Um, How can you expect them to make a promise, a huge promise, like making a commitment to anything, whether it be a God, a person, anything. It's a huge commitment. Yeah, it's a lot. And especially reading Heather's experience going through that with Ashley and how it just was like, I found it interesting now that we're talking about that her husband like punished her in some way, right? He was being really difficult about something and was, I really felt for her in the moment. Just she was wanting everything to be so perfect because her baby was going to be making these huge promises to God. It's a huge thing at eight years old to do this thing. And yet her husband's like being a dick about it. <laughs> yeah. They were really not good at that moment. Right. And so she had gone through all of this rigmarole to put together like the perfect party and the perfect day. And I gather this, and you've been saying this, that like the man holds more weight in mm-hmm. the – church. And so all he really had to do was show up and actually get most of the credit for Mm -hmm. the whole thing that she had done behind the scenes. And so I think she was feeling very resentful and just like, all you really need to do is show up. And then he was trying to change the time Mm -hmm. of the ceremony. And she was Mm -hmm. like, like, no, you can't, you know, it's been, we've worked that into the entire day and it's so planned. It's like basically saying like you want to change the time of a wedding like the day before, yeah. right? It, se- it seemed yeah. like it was pretty, you know, a lot of moving parts and um, yeah, he for still sure. showed up. He showed up late anyway. And yeah. and then like that was kind of the the breaking point of their marriage. Like he was just like, you know, I'll move out like tomorrow or something like yeah. that. I think that was like the end of everything. And it, you know, there always has to be like there's like a catalyst and there's like the small breakings and then yeah. eventually like you just can't hang on like that for very much longer. So yeah. yeah, it was ironic to have it be centered around something that's so important in the church though, right? Yeah, for sure. Like I can't imagine doing that cuz it's funny cuz looking at it from an ex-Mormon perspective like I know that the scheduling that has to go into it, like, because there's, you know, a lot of children getting baptized, they usually, it's assigned per congregation, because usually multiple congregations share one building. And so they schedule like on the first Sunday, this congregation, or this Saturday of the month, this congregation goes and baptizes all their kids turning eight. And so they usually combine all of them in one hour, or you get to say, okay, well, we're having the Richardson baptism at 10 o'clock and then we're having the Smith's baptism at, you know, 12 o'clock or whatever, because they have to fill this big font Mm -hmm. of water and it takes a long time to get it warm. And so, you know, it's just, 
they do multiple in the day just to knock them out. But yeah, maybe it's different than when Ashley was younger. But I feel like in the last, let's see, my oldest is 18. And when he got baptized 10 years ago, that's kind of how it was. Yeah. Just like you it's were a assigned a day. <laughs> yeah, it is. They have people <laughs> scheduling it. You have to call and schedule if you need to use the building. Like it's it's a well-oiled machine, that's for sure. I have a question back yeah. to what we were talking about before, which is like the fear of not getting into heaven, not getting a mm-hmm. next life in the best heaven, let's say, for yeah. lack of a better – I mean, there yeah, is a better it is term, the best. It is the best heaven. Yeah, it's called the, the celestial kingdom. The celestial kingdom. Okay. Yes. So – We've talked about Journey of Souls, right? The book by Mm -hmm. Dr. Michael Newton. So I'm wondering, I know it's hard because there's a lot of secular texts about spirituality that do not have a religion attached to them that are Mm -hmm. probably also no-nos in the Mormon church, but in in any religion. Like I don't see Catholicism handing that shit out either, um, which is how (laughs) I grew up. But (laughs) – Death is the great equalizer, you know, the next life or, you know, the fact that we all return to energy is the great equalizer. Like there is no, in my understanding, and again, I have died hundreds of times in what I believe of reincarnation, but I don't remember all of them obviously, but in every bit of research that I've done, even like cross-functionally with different texts, different ways that it's been documented even in near-death experiences, right? Like we kind of all go through the exact same experience when we die and we do rejoin with our loved ones, like kind of no questions asked. There's nothing you could do to not get that. Mm -hmm. And it makes me really sad that for years I also believed that you go to either heaven or hell, um, maybe purgatory but you got to be really good to get to heaven and to learn, you know, as an adult after years of deprogramming that at least from where I sit and the research I've done, none of that is true. And so it's really just the biggest lie of all of the lies if we want to talk about the egregious offenses in the eyes of God, right? Right. Um, Which is the most ironic thing I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. That we as it's it's similar in society too. I've been thinking about recycling lately. Trevor mm-hmm. Noah talked about it on his podcast where he said the biggest like fallacy and fraud of it all is is taking something that is really a large scale problem like recycling plastic and instead of just changing the materials that we make things with from plastic to glass or other recyclable materials, they, in big corporations that make things out of plastic, put it on the individual to Mm. do the right thing and recycle when really the problem could be solved in an instant by changing the approach from a systematic corporate Mm. standpoint. You know, we're talking about religions as being businesses too, right? Like, I don't, I mean, it's basically the exact same concept. Yeah. Do the right thing, go to church, you know, consistently feed into this business. And then maybe you'll get an option to go to heaven, to the best heaven. Yeah. What a crock. I know. It is. (laughs) The biggest, the biggest farce of them all. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know. That's so messed up. And it's just, I mean, it's hard. It's like we're impressionable. We like, you know, humans like want to, I think, you know, you touched on something earlier, you know, with the baptism, like we just want to be included. Yeah. We just want to belong. We're tribal at the yeah. end of the day too. And so, you know, religion is one of the best ways to be able to give that to people. Mm-hmm. So you grew up Catholic. I have a question. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Heather talks about Mormons in one of the chapters, Mormons are comfortable living with secrets. Church members go into temples all over the world and conduct complicated and elaborate rituals that keep a secret from their friends, their children, their employers, even their spouses. So in Mormonism, when people talk about the temple, they say, well, we can't talk about it because it's sacred, right? Mm. Mm-hmm. But she says that it's secretive, which coming out of it, it's very secretive because if you're not allowed to talk about it, right? So yeah. was there anything within Catholicism that felt very similar to like, oh, this is sacred, but we have to keep it a secret? Not necessarily. I feel like Catholicism does things a little bit more out loud. Okay. Like, you know, even just the papal anointing or appointing, yeah. right? It's televised. Super cool. Like, yeah, I love that. Super ritualized, but I think it's very public. And I think that has probably always been like a stamp of Catholicism, just like Jesus in a way was like, here I am and I'm the son of God and like yeah. crucify me in the public square, right? Like it's just, I think a lot of it was pretty from the roots of it, um, live out loud. And also there are rituals in which you confess mm-hmm. your secrets or your um, sins, right? Like similar in Mormonism. And that part isn't on blast. And there's a fair amount of secretive behavior in the in the banals of Catholicism, obviously, given yeah. the you know history of abuse. So that's a little bit, I think, of the Catholicism way, which is like, look over here and behind the scenes, like some mm-hmm. shady is going on versus in Mormonism, like you can't even get in until yeah. you've passed all of these different like layers right. of gates, right? And then you once you get in, you get like the keys to the kingdom, so to speak. And then you feel really like hard pressed that you could lose it. I think Catholicism is very much like open the doors and anyone can come in. Mm. But then like once we grab you, you're kind of in with that guilt and that shame and, you know, like the the concoction that oh, all like, yeah. you know, a lot of organized religions use to like keep you, I guess. Yeah. It's very like, I feel like, you know, probably similar in Mormonism too, but like Catholicism is really rooted in like power and like, the mm, you know, yeah. only certain people can have it and, you know, the people that were closest to Jesus had it and, it, you know, just yeah. very much like a power hungry. Yeah patriarchal community. Yeah, for sure. Going back and talking about secrets versus sacred, like how would you interpret like something that's secretive versus something that's sacred? I have an idea, but Hmm. like coming out of Catholicism or just like the books and the studies that you've done since. I think that a secret to me implies that there is something damaging that you mm. wouldn't want getting out or you want to keep 
I think, you know, it's a really good distinction because I think that there are certain things you hold sacred that you would keep a secret or keep it yeah. to yourself. Um, but you would maybe use that different word. But I feel like secretive, um, especially because like I have a Scorpio moon, like I said, with Heather Gay. Yeah. So I am just inherently like a secretive. There are certain things that like people would never have known about me. And just as I've healed, I've been vocal about them. Mm-hmm. So things like smoking, like I smoked for years and people didn't know, like I vaped for years and people had absolutely no idea, which I thought was, it. I just was a testament to like how good I am at like being able to keep yeah. a secret, which I don't think is necessarily a great thing because it <laughs> yeah. implies that, you know, you're keeping things like kind of away from people you love. But yeah, I guess I, as I've grown, I've really understood apart from church, what sacred rituals look like to me. And I've really you know, amalgamated from multiple different teachers, non-secular and a little bit secular, right? Because yeah, actually something good about the the church is like, that's kind of where you learn rituals the first time, yeah. you know, you walk in and you like bless yourself. and But a lot of that is actually rooted in paganism. Mm, yeah. So like where the roots are, I think are interesting and I think that's a really good question. I guess sacred is Im- implied that it's good or for your highest, best, mm-hmm. and secrets can be all sorts of different yeah. things that maybe aren't in the highest alignment with who you are or aspire to be. Yeah. I love it. That's exactly what I was thinking. And it's interesting because – Mormon church really wants the temple ceremony to be very sacred. They, they want it to be something that, and it's just, this sounds so gross just saying it, but you have to earn to get in there. Like you have to go through a process of, you know, they ask you in an interview with the bishop, they ask, you know, a set of, I think 10 questions or whatever. And I think Heather does talk about the questions that they ask, but you have to answer these questions. And if you answer no to anyone, it might prohibit you from entering through those doors. And then then you get a special piece of paper if you pass the test or whatever. Um, But the things like the ceremonial part, you don't talk about, like I didn't know anything about it. And I, before I got married, I actually went to the public library and was just like browsing nonfiction books and browsing the religious section. And I found a book um, called Secret, I think it's titled Secret Ceremonies. I've gone since and purchased it on thrift books. It's an older book. I think it's out of print, but a woman writes about her exact experience in Mormonism and she goes through the temple ceremony in the book. And I remember reading that, having not gone through the temple and being sort of freaked out about what was awaiting me on the other side, right? Because mm. I had gone into the Mormon temple at 12 because you can do what they call baptisms by proxy. So you go in and you get a name of a deceased person and you do the baptismal ordinance for them so that they can move along the line of specific promises or covenants that they make to God in order to make it to the celestial kingdom. And baptism is the first the first step. And so at 12 years old, you're allowed to go get a temple recommend and go to the temple. But they only let you into a certain part just like the front part. There's like a waiting room and then you go and there's like a big font where you go and get baptized for these people. And then you get the Holy Ghost, which is like the laying on of hands where they put their hands on your head and give you the, essentially give you the Holy Ghost. And they do that 
by proxy for people. So I was in the temple and I had seen it and it's like this beautiful building that you, everybody wants to go into. You walk by, you're like, oh, this building is so beautiful. But little did I know that there was like more in the temple that you go and you do other things that are very secretive that you can't talk about. Like I didn't, you go and you take a, it's called a temporal preparation class before you get married or before you go on a mission, either one. That's usually when people go through the temple and you're sitting in there, but you can't ask a lot of questions. Just like Heather said in the book, like she went to a temple prep class, but she was like, well, what do you do? What do you wear? Like all these things, but they're like, oh, we can't talk about it. And so that's the thing that is a little bit outrageous to me that they're touting something is sacred, but it's so secret that we can't talk about it because it's weird. Honestly, yeah. it's really freaking weird. And the fact that like the the ceremony has changed over the years. Like at one point they did like a anybody that's interested in this, you can go on YouTube. There's like lots of information. You can even watch the temple. Um, it's called the endowment session. You can go and watch it on YouTube hmm. if you want to. It's there. It's all there. A guy named, he goes by the name of New Name Noah. He's fascinating character. Um, in the ex-Mormon arena, he went into temples and he's actually like banned. Like he was on like a multiple, possibly, I think. I might be wrong. But I think he was on like the Mormon church's like top hit list of like people to like watch out for because he would just go sneak into temples and like he would pin a video camera on himself and he'd record the whole temple ceremony. Wow. Um, so Bold. it's out there online if you really wanted to go and watch it. But it's just, it's so interesting that something that's claimed to be sacred and of divine revelation from God, but yet it keeps changing. Mm -hmm. You can't talk about it outside the walls. You can talk about it, like Heather said in the book. She was able to talk about it once she got to a certain room in the temple. But before that, you can't say anything. And so it's just, it's very a little kooky, if you ask me. Yes. And I feel like it's kind of, it's paranoid as well. Yes. Like I, it's, it reminds me a little bit of like when businesses make you sign an NDA, uh -huh. you know, like to go yeah. through an interview process. Like mm -hmm. they're worried that you could leak information or trade secrets. And I think, yeah. you know, then it just makes people want to like do illicit activities to get the information out there. Like that guy yeah. who like, you know, recorded. <laughs> That's yeah, he that was already like out by that point. Rebellious. But he, like, yeah. Oh, it's so rebellious. Yeah. But it was fascinating because cool. now, like, you know, you could just research it, but then the church has like done everything they can to take off as much as they can. But I wanted to tell you about something that my family was like sending around around Christmas. Yeah. In New York City, we have Times Square. I'm sure everybody mm -hmm. yeah. is familiar, at least if you haven't seen it yourself. And so it's million, you know. Huge LED, massive video screens. And around Christmas, they did a nativity story of like the birth of Jesus. The Mormon church did? Well, that's what we found okay. out. Okay, okay. So that's why I wanted to tell you because my, okay. my grandmother found it on YouTube or my aunt found it and she sent it to me and I said – that is an advertising platform. So there's no possible way that a – we don't have a national religion in in, in the U.S. Right. It's like our yeah. whole country is founded on like religious freedom, independence and freedom. Yeah. yeah. 
because of where, you know, a lot of people came from, right? And so there's just no way that they would do that in Times Square, like out of the goodness of their heart, because it's Christmas time. It's like they could be getting Coca-Cola money. They could be getting M&M money like that they do. They get, you know, they get money from advertisers. That's how it works, right? So I go digging a little bit and I didn't have to go far. And I find that it's paid for by, you know, Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints, Mm -hmm. um, the Mormon church. And so I said that in our group text and you know my family's catholic so my grandmother's like mm-hmm. super catholic and they didn't like that i was just like kind of poking holes and like you know they're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart it's so sweet and like we love the jesus story obviously it's yeah. you know, christmas is like a big deal but like let's just look at like one layer beyond the initial with this stuff uh, it didn't go over well in the group text, but I just thought I would share that with you because I thought it was interesting. And you know, the church is worth like what a billion dollars, multiple billion dollars. Billions so of dollars. They had money for the advertising. Let's just put it that way. Oh, yeah. I feel like we could spend hours talking about the the amount of money that they spend on marketing. That must have been. I mean, <laughs> that's a takeover not like shocking. A takeover like that must have been. But the number that's coming to my mind is like two hundred fifty thousand yeah. dollars. Oh, that's like chump change for them. I don't know how much it actually was. I kind of now I'm kind of yeah, curious. But, even, but that's even like, so, regardless, it's like it was a drop in the bucket for them. <laughs> totally, totally. And I just think like it's worth thinking about this because basically people were like, "This is like the person who posted was like, if if this is the way that the direction of our society is going, then that's such a fantastic sign." It's like. What? No. Yeah. Somebody paid for that. <laughs> yeah. You don't, don't just get to put things about. up for free in Times Square. It's not like that. Yeah, but that's that's also not very shocking at all that they did that. It was cool. Well, I'm sure it, it was. It was cool. Looking. Like they yeah. have great people in their marketing department. Like, you know, they they pay good money for <laughs> for their PR department. They have really good people in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's astounding what they do with their money. They have billions of dollars, the amount of good they could do with that money. Of course. And they're not doing it. (laughs) They're not doing it. They keep building these temples, which cost millions of dollars. Well, Christina, they did put up the nativity story in Times Square. In Times Square. (laughs) I think that's a world of good. And if that's showing us where our society is going. then By the way. I'm a fan but, of Jesus, like just FYI, like not like yeah. he's like the one true savior kind of thing, but like in the fact that he like was a, a cool, you know, um, he was a dude good who human. helps people. Yeah. yeah. He was a model citizen. I, I yeah. totally yeah. believe that. Beyond even that, like he helped yeah. people, you know, he was a healer. Yeah, I believe he that. Was. Yeah, yeah, I do too. But it's just interesting that like the Mormon version of Jesus is somewhat skewed Mm, yeah Yeah. so So, i mean that's good for them that they was it a obviously it was someone who wasn't mormon that you saw had posted that it was not a mormon person it was like my aunt found it from i think like a christian so i guess maybe just like the amalgamation of like all things christian kind of thing and she said like i wonder if this really happened and if so like how cool and i was like yeah it it seems like it did, but it also seems like it was paid for. And then we went down that rabbit hole. Yeah. 
and it was, and it was yes. by the Mormon church. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess doing a solid for all Christian all religions. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, it's a beautiful story. It is a but. beautiful story. <laughs> exactly. <Yes. laughs> oh, wow, wow, wow. I have, I have some more about housewives of Salt Lake cool. City that I want to talk about. Um, I feel like we've covered a lot about yeah. Mormonism. When I read Heather's book, there were so many things that really resonated with me. Like her, her relationship with her ex-husband kind of felt like the relationship I had with my ex-husband. Just, And I feel like a lot of ex-Mormon women have very similar stories of like feeling like they didn't have a voice and they couldn't share their opinion or you know, they just felt marginalized in some way. Even at church, like I remember holding a somewhat higher position because within the Mormon church, everything is on a volunteer basis. Like you're given an assignment, you're asked if you want to take an assignment and you could say no if you wanted to, but there's a stigma like, oh, who would say no to this, this position? Mm -hmm. But when I was called to a position um, to work with the youth program with the girls, because it's, you know, it's separated by sex, like the men work with the men and the women work with the women. And so when I got called as the president of the youth group for the girls, my bishop at the time was amazing. He was supportive. And that was, the I think, honestly, the best experience I've had holding a calling in the Mormon church where I felt like I was being heard. Hmm. But just within my own relationship, I... I struggled with that. I struggled being able to just come forward and say, hey, I, I'm questioning things or I feel differently about something was automatically discounted. You know, like, mm -hmm. well, you don't know what you're talking about or just you're wrong, you know. Yeah. Um, and her experience when she was talking about um, that in particular and then just the temple stuff, I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah, that was me. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I'm going through here and I can't ask questions. And yeah, I feel like it's interesting that the religion reinforces something that's uniquely patriarchal. You don't really question mm -hmm. the man in the relationship and you have your role. And I think when they were owning the business together, I loved that part because it was just sort of like – showing you how qualified she was, how ready she was to take on a different role, how capable she was, and how he sort of recognized her in that capacity, but mm -hmm. then was still the one who was making like the business decisions mm -hmm. at a at a, a higher level that did affect yeah. her down the line. And I thought that part was hard as a business person and as someone who's uniquely capable and like don't need to run a business with my husband. I fought for her yeah. in that moment. And I feel like it was a very big redemption story for her to like own her own and have a man yeah. actually hand her the keys, which I thought was really cool to, to beauty lab and laser, which is like renamed from whatever the, the guy who had it before yeah. was. And I thought what, what a cool, like full circle. She didn't really make that distinction, but I thought that was a yeah. cool full circle moment of like a guy who shut the door on her from a business standpoint, something that she created and mm -hmm. was her brainchild. And he just like monetized it poorly basically and just kind of like gave, gave it away. And then, you know, getting, getting a second chance at that with beauty lab yeah. and laser, I thought was kind of cool and important for her. Definitely. 
Yeah, when her husband, her ex-husband, like she was doing the photography for the business and then he ended up hiring. So it's like, oh. well, she she also said, you know, they got almost like skilled out because Photoshop was not a unique skill set yeah. anymore and they just were not as unique of a business model anymore. But yeah. still, I thought. All she wanted to do was just to be seen, right? She just wanted to be mm-hmm. seen by her husband. She wanted to seen be seen by her church. Yeah. And now she is. She's being seen by the entire world. So we love. I don't know. I've love always been a Heather. Story. Yes, <laughs> I've been a fan of Heather since like season one. Honestly, Me too. she's she's one of always my been my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Meredith Marks is number two. Mm. I have issues with Whitney. So I don't know if you're how good your memory is with Real Housewives stuff, but I remember. So I texted my friend Ashley about this. I was like, hey, I could have sworn, and I went back and watched it because everything's on Peacock now, even though I bought everything on iTunes or on, on Apple TV. <laughs> I went back and watched season the first episode of season one where Whitney is having her recommitment ceremony to Justin, and it was Heather who said it. So I I looked back and I was could have sworn that Whitney said that she had left the Mormon church. But then it was Heather in the confessional that said that Whitney had left. Hmm. Because then we fast forward to what season three and Whitney is signing her official documents to leave the church. And I was like, I thought she left already. Mm -hmm. And so I was confused. And I was like, but did I get it wrong? Did Whitney say at any point that she left the Mormon church? I don't remember that but i feel like it's semantics too because if you're like not going to church anymore or you're i I feel like she was excommunicated because of the affair i feel like she did talk about that that's what i thought and so then she's like removing her records and i was like whoa whoa whoa! i'm so confused about this and so i was like is she doing this for publicity well is it like an empowerment he's not my favorite (laughs) okay yeah i could see so there might be a little bit of judgment I've DM'd with her a couple times. Oh, so I okay. like her. That doesn't like mean that I like somebody just because they like answer. No, their no, DMs no. I know, or, like, I know what you're you know, saying. Look at their DMs, but I mean, to your point, like you could have like an excommunication from the church, and then you decide as an individual, hey, strike my name from the record. Yeah. Is aren't those two different things? Completely, yeah. Because when you're excommunicated, your records are. I thought they're removed, but maybe they're not. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's like the marriage thing. Yeah, but you have to be rebaptized into the Mormon church. So I don't know if they just, I I don't know how it works, if they have like a special folder <laughs> in their filing system at the church headquarters. That I feel like the street I, from their billion dollar outdoor shopping mall. <laughs> <laughs> I have not a, one clue. But yeah, so I, I don't do know think if like there's part of these shows that are for the show yeah. as well. And so I think, you you know, it's probably two things can be true. Like, Yeah, that's true. But I was just like, how can this, what's going on? I was so confused because like first season, she's like, but then it was Heather who said it. Like, you know, Whitney left the Mormon church. She and Justin left the Mormon church at, you know. And that's what what's interesting. Like if we talk about Monica, the new cast member this season, who had an extramarital affair. She had an affair with her brother-in-law and she got excommunicated and he didn't, which is so typical. Mm. So typical. Like I actually was threatened with excommunication. I haven't talked about it openly because my records were still in the Mormon church and 
I had divorced my husband, my ex, my now ex-husband, but because I was still considered an active member of the church and I was engaging in a relationship with another man and posting about it online that mm. I was confronted with excommunication. And I was like, hold on. I have kids that are oh. still in. It's very taboo. Very, very taboo. So when Monica said that that was her experience, I was like, yeah, that's unfortunately the case. Like just reading these stories, these women on ex-Mormon Facebook, like going back to the the Mormon celestial, the temple marriage, like when someone is still active in the church, for example, my ex-husband who let's say they wanted to get remarried, they can ask the church for a temple ceiling, a cancellation. So they can cancel the ceiling or the marriage between me and him. Hmm. But they will send me a letter notifying me of his request. And I can, you know, respond to it. But ultimately, they're not, they're going to do whatever they want. They're not going to, my words won't matter. But it's just interesting that some of these women have said, oh, I have sent a letter because I've gotten a letter in the mail saying, oh, you're you know, this person who you were married to wants to get remarried and they'll send a letter saying this person is a horrible person, they're abusive, yet they can, you know, list off things as to reasons why this person should not even have a membership or be married. The church just discards it. They don't care. It's a number, mm-hmm. someone that's continuing to pay money to the church. But it's just mm-hmm. very, very sad that men are given special allowances where sometimes women are not. And it's yeah. frustrating. So I felt I for think, Monica when I when I heard that and very frustrated with the system. I think that Monica aside, because that's a whole separate issue oh, that, yeah. on a different, I, I on a different podcast. <laughs> I feel like what is so cool about the housewives is that it is women's stories over and over. Yeah. And yeah celebrated and, you know, trials and tribulations and yes, flaws. And of course, you know, there's salacious things that come out. And, but I, what I do love is that the woman is always centered in the conversation. Yeah. And it really is like probably the first time in <laughs> truly like pop culture history where like the men are secondary yeah. and, you know, Desperate Housewives was the impetus for yeah. the Housewives franchise. And I remember that show being very pivotal and and trailblazing at that time. Yeah. I mean, even if you think about soap operas and stuff like that, it's always like couples. It's not just yeah. one woman, you know, telling her side of the story and the man, the men come in and out or, you know, are again, like not the main characters. And I think it's a beautiful thing to to see that no matter what's happening with them, that it's just their side of the story. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think that's where we're going to stop because that was okay. that was amazing. <laughs> but um, Alex, before we go, um, can you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, on the internet. <laughs> so my personal account is High Priestess of Brooklyn. That's where you're going to catch most of the uh, the housewives musing. So if you want to like Kiki there, that's a fun place to find me. My business account is uh, Capricorn Rising Inc. on Instagram. These are both my Instagram handles. And that's um, the business executive coaching area where we actually bring in intuitive practices like astrology and human design and apply them to career, life purpose, and um, you know, running a successful 
business, just where the intuitive meets business side of life. So I'd love to hang out with you there too, my entrepreneurial, you know, Uh, ex-Mormon besties. (laughs) Yes. Everyone connect with Alex. She's been so helpful in my journey in my own intuitive practices. So I'm grateful that I've met you. It's been like, what, four years now? Yeah, I know. I'm so grateful too. I know. You've come so far and just what you're doing now I think is so great. And thank you. This is exciting and I'm I'm excited to see how this continues to flourish for you. Thank you. Thank you. And also guys, check out her TikTok. Her TikTok is one of my favorites. I'm always excited to see when I'm scrolling. Oh yeah. Thanks. Yeah. That's a fun one too. And I have a podcast as well. So it's, it's just called Capricorn Rising Inc. And it's entrepreneurial stories and interviews. So it's a fun, fun place too. I'm all over the internet. Yeah, you are. I love it. I love it. Well, well thanks for thank you so much me. for being here today. I loved it so much. Thank me you. Thank too. you. All right. Okay, take care. I'll see you later. All right. Bye. Okay, bye. Thank you so much for listening today and allowing us to be a part of your day. If you would like more information on Leaving in Color or to be a guest on our show, you can find us on Instagram at leavingincolor.pod or email us at leavingincolorpod at gmail.com. If this episode resonated with you in any way or made you think of a loved one or a friend, please tell them about it. Your support generates more abundance collectively, so please subscribe to Leaving in Color wherever you listen to podcasts. Like all beautifully crafted pieces, this podcast was co-created by the most talented humans. Our music is by the melodic master, Tucker Winters. Our lovely cover art is by the multifaceted Jen of all trades, Jen Cagle Gilmore. Leaving in Color is masterfully produced in conjunction with Particulate Media, K.O. Myers, executive producer. And I am Christina Elmer. See you next time.